people of God had just crossed over the Red Sea on dry land. And the Egyptian army was in hot pursuit after them. And as they tried to cross over the dry land, the sea swallowed them up and destroyed the entire Egyptian army. The Israelites stood on the opposite shore of the Red Sea on the Arabian Peninsula and they recalled the goodness of God. They recalled how he had delivered them. They sang a song of praise and of deliverance. The entire nation of Israel began to to meander through the dry desert wilderness headed toward the promised land. And as they came to Mount Sinai, Moses went to the top of the mountain to meet with God. And there on top of the mountain, God gave him what we call the Ten Commandments. And God was establishing with Israel a covenant to say, I'm going to be your God and you will be my people. He was showing them what it was to be a part of his kingdom. As the Old Testament unfolds, we know that the Israelites failed in this covenant time and time and time again. And God would send his prophets to go and speak to the people, to to call them back to himself, to call them back into relationship and back into fellowship with him. But they didn't listen. And so between the last page of the Old Testament and the first page of the New Testament, there were 400 years of silence. And when you come to the New Testament, we see that God sent his very own son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. And as Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, about the age of 30 now, he also climbs up to the top of a mountain, to the, what we call the Mount of Beatitudes. And there he gave what we call the Sermon on the Mount. In the beginning of that sermon, we find the eight Beatitudes. And in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was establishing the new covenant. He was showing the people what it meant to know God and to serve God and to love God. He was showing them how to have relationship with God, how, how to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so if you have your Bibles open today, I'd ask that you to stand in honor of God's word if you're able as we examine this passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, the word of God says, When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to continue our series today called On the Mountains, where we're looking at these mountaintop experiences in the life and in the ministry of Jesus. And here we find Jesus going to the top of the mountain, the Mount of Beatitudes, and giving what's his most widely known and probably most widely read teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. And as we study these Beatitudes today, we're going to learn how to relate to God and how we are to relate to mankind. So the first thing that we see in this passage is relating to God. Just like that first part of the Ten Commandments show how Israel was to relate to Yahweh, the first four of the Beatitudes reveal how we are to relate to Yahweh, to God. The Old Testament prophets foretold of a Messiah that would come to save the people from their sin. This Messiah who would come and bring the people into relationship with God again. And now, this Messiah is here. He's delivering this this sermon, these beatitudes on this day. And what we have to recognize is that we are incapable of saving ourselves. We, We have to recognize that we are helpless to do this on our own. And so when it comes to relating to God, we have to first admit and confess that we need him. That we're not just all right. That we are sinful men and women who are in need of a savior. This is God that we're talking about. And we are just the dust of the earth. It's God who causes our hearts to beat and who fills up our lungs with air. It's God who gives us the sun by day and the moon and the stars by night. It's it's God who gives us the rain to replenish the earth. We are weak, but he is strong. We are tossed to and fro, but he is steadfast. We are mortal, but he is immortal. And so we have to recognize who God is, who we are. And just like the Hebrew people stood on the edge of the Red Sea and all they saw in front of them was a vast body of water, they recognized that they were helpless to save themselves. And the Egyptian army was bearing down upon them. In the same way, we stand on the edge of a cliff And we recognize that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves and that our sin is bearing down upon us and it leads us to death. But God made a way in that he split the sea in two and allowed the people to cross over on dry land. And God makes a way for us as well by sending us his very son so that we can have relationship with him again through his death and through his resurrection. But you have to begin at at this point and call out to God. So listen closely as Jesus explains his kingdom. Because he's outlining for us the way of salvation. Beginning there in verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's not how you would expect 
someone to begin, if they were about to you know, launch a, a campaign for a new kingdom that's going to take over the entire world. He says, we're going to start out by being poor in spirit. We start out empty, recognizing that, that we have nothing to bring, that we're poor in spirit. But when we approach God, poor in spirit, he hears our prayers and he answers our prayers as we call on him to save us. And he says that he gives us the kingdom of heaven. It's countercultural. He continues, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That we come to God convicted of our sin realizing that we fall short of the glory of God, that we're sorrowful over our sin, that we mourn it, that we're not trying to justify it, we're not trying to explain it away. We know that we need to be saved from our sin. And so when we approach God mourning over our condition, he hears our cries, he answers our prayers, and it says that we are comforted through the forgiveness of God. He continues in verse five saying, blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. The humble. We realize that, that our salvation is from God, that we can't be good enough. We can't do enough good things to, to make this work out. We can't make the bad things that we've done disappear. We can't erase them. And so we humble ourselves before our king, calling on his mercy. And he hears our prayers and he answers them. And it says that we inherit the earth through our savior and through our king. In verse six, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. We realize that through faith that God gives us this gift of salvation and that it's a, a gift from God. And because we recognize that we bring nothing and that God gives us this tremendous gift of salvation, it, it inspires within us a desire to live for our king, to, to honor our king through our words and through our deeds. He changes our hearts so that we're not ruled by the flesh anymore, but instead we're now walking in the spirit of God. And we begin to hunger and to thirst for his righteousness, for the things of God. And when we live for the Lord, he pours out his blessings. We find that sin leaves us empty, but the goodness of God fills us. And so Jesus is saying here to the crowds, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, this is where it begins. It's probably not what they were expecting. It might not be what you were expecting because it is countercultural. There was a man that asked Jesus about the greatest commandments and Jesus says in Matthew 22 verses 37 and 38, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, this is the, the greatest and the most important command. 
And so this is Jesus summing up the, the most important command. This is, what, this is Jesus summing up the first four of these Beatitudes, that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. This is how we relate to God. And in order to, to love God, we have to come through Jesus. That's what these first four Beatitudes teach us. We have to be poor, we have to be mournful, we have to be humble, hungry and thirsting after God's righteousness. That Jesus is the savior of the world. That's why Peter says in Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And so just as as Moses came down from Sinai with this covenant for the people, what did they do? They rejected him. They were off building a, a golden calf to, to worship. They, they, had, they had sinned against God while God was giving them the covenant. And so Moses goes back before God and he intercedes on their behalf. And he says, God, be merciful to them. In the same way, Jesus here stands on the Mount of Beatitudes with a new covenant for the people. And many of them rejected him as well. Jesus intercedes for us, calling out to the Father, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He died in our place, but was raised from the dead for our salvation. And we need Jesus to save us. And so we come to him poor in spirit, mournful, humble, hungering after his righteousness, trusting in his death for our life. So as Jesus begins, he shows us how we are to relate to God. The second thing that we see in the Beatitudes is that he shows us how to relate to mankind, to one another. The word beatitude comes from the Latin word beatus, which means blessed. And that's, of course, how each of the Beatitudes begins. Maybe your translation might say happy. It's the same, same word. Because Jesus is showing us the way of, of blessing. He's showing us the way of a fulfilled life, a, a, a way of happiness. And he says it only comes through a relationship with God. And when you look at these Beatitudes, each of them shows us a responsibility and then a privilege that comes with that responsibility of being in the kingdom. For example, he says, you'll be poor in spirit, but you'll be blessed with the kingdom of heaven. You'll mourn, but you'll be blessed with the Lord's comfort. Jesus used this sort of teaching all the time of showing the responsibility and the privilege of being a part of of his kingdom. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so these first four Beatitudes showed us how we relate to God. And there's this vertical aspect to our Christian walk, but there's also a horizontal aspect to our Christian walk. We relate to God and that impacts how we relate to mankind. This is how we are to live out this kingdom amongst one another. And so when you get to verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. So Jesus is 
calling us to be citizens of a kingdom that we only enter through the forgiveness of God. And so God shows us mercy, and we therefore extend mercy to others. In fact, if you look later on in this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 14, Jesus says, if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. And so the principle is this, that forgiven people forgive people. And so when we live out this truth of of being people who are merciful, then we'll receive mercy. He goes on in verse eight to say, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. It washes us whiter than snow. And we're made pure on the inside, in the heart, a real cleansing. It's not just an external cleansing or washing like the Pharisees were we're really good at doing and you know they complained that Jesus disciples didn't wash their hands good enough like they like the Pharisees did Jesus is saying no we're talking about an internal cleansing of the heart and the psalmist says it like this in Psalm 24 verses 3 and 4 who may ascend the mountain of the Lord who may stand in his holy place the one who has clean hands and a pure heart your heart and so we're made new we are given a a new heart and we strive to follow the way of Christ living in holiness on the inside and when we live out this truth he says that we see God who is holy who calls us to be holy as he is holy verse 9 Jesus says blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. As citizens of this kingdom, we are going to be imitators of Christ, seeking to make peace where there's division, seeking to make peace where there's turmoil. And this is how Christ was. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, through him, through Jesus, God was reconciling everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. And so where there was division, there was separation between God and man because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, God made peace through the cross, through Jesus' blood that he shed on our behalf, where he was able to cleanse us of our sin and wash our sin away and to reconcile us into relationship with him again. And so it's, it's no wonder then that peacemakers are called sons of God because they're acting like the son of God and doing what the son of God did and bringing people together. In verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. As citizens of the kingdom of Christ, we're going to face the same sort of treatment that our king faced. And Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was mocked. 
He faced rejection because of who he was and because of, uh, of what he did. And as we live out the righteousness of Christ amongst mankind, we will be rejected by the world as well. And so Jesus is, is saying here, this is how you're going to live and how you're going to interact with others in my kingdom. And so when Jesus summed up the Old Testament law and prophecy, he said that the first and, and greatest command was that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But as you continue in Matthew 22 and verses 39 and 40, he says the second one is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And so here he's summing up the second half of these beatitudes, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Who loves their neighbor like this? (laughs) Who loves their community like this? Followers of Jesus do. Because Jesus is showing these crowds that he's a different kind of king and that this is a different kind of kingdom. It's one where we're going to be set apart from the world, where we're going to be imitators of, of Christ and we're going to be totally dependent upon Christ. And Jesus isn't sugarcoating anything here. I mean, this is really the, the inauguration of his, of his ministry. And he gathers this great crowd together and, and, is, and is teaching them all about what it means to be a part of his kingdom. And he tells them from the very beginning that it's going to be difficult. He tells them that there's going to be opposition, that there's going to be persecution. But he also tells them that they would be blessed as they follow after him. And as Christians, we have received this new covenant. We are citizens of this kingdom. And so when you look at these beatitudes, we we need to be merciful and willing to forgive. We need to be pure in heart, walking in holiness. We need to be peacemakers and part of the solution and not part of the problem. We need to live so differently from from the world that the world won't claim us as their own. And that we're going to to die to ourselves to live the life of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the people took that covenant and said, hey, we can do this. The Ten Commandments were like a checklist for them. They said, I can do that one, I'll not do that one, I'll not do that one, not do that one. And the Pharisees were really good at that. In fact, they would, they would go around and make sure that everybody knew how pious they were, how self-righteous they were. They would wear long tassels off of their robes and that meant the longer the tassel meant the holier you were. So everybody knew and they, they would stand in judgment over anybody else that was failing in any of these, of these laws, any of these commands. And that, so that they were trying to keep the law perfectly. But they were missing the point because the, the law that they received in the Old Testament was a reflection of the holiness of God. And it's, it's a mirror that shows us all of our shortcomings. It shows us all the ways that we fall short of the glory of God. To show us that we can't possibly keep the law like this. And so the point is that it would show us that we need a savior. 
We need someone to do what we can't do to stand in our place. That's why Jesus says as he continues on in this Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit murder. He's citing one of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you, that even if you have anger in your heart for your brother, that you've already committed murder in your heart. He's showing them, even when you think that you're keeping the law, and you say, well, I've never murdered anybody, he goes, you're not really doing it. Jesus says, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I say to you that even if you have lust after a woman in your heart, that you've already committed adultery. So he's saying it's not about keeping all of these rules, it's about our heart's condition before God. And each of us has sin in our heart that separates us from God, and we need Jesus. And so when you come to the end of the sermon, you flip over to to Matthew chapter 7, in verse 24, Jesus tells a story. This is the summation of this, of this sermon, of this introduction to his kingdom. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, he'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and they pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and they pounded that house and it collapsed. And it collapsed with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. So at the end of the sermon, Jesus tells everybody a story about two builders. And he's saying to them, what foundation do you want to build your life upon? Are you willing to stake it all on the sandy foundation of your righteousness? Are you willing to stake it all on the sandy foundation of you keeping the law? Are you willing to stake it all on your good works? Or are you going to trust in the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection for your salvation. So Jesus gives them the the Beatitudes. He's laying out his kingdom and the people have a decision to make. Are they going to believe in Jesus? Are they going to trust in him as the Messiah? Are they going to follow after him? And we have the same decision before us today. Are you going to believe in Jesus? Are you going to trust in him as the Messiah? Are you going to follow after him? And there may be some here in this room today who recognize that, that you need Jesus. Today you've, you've seen that, that all the things that you thought were good enough fall short. Your good deeds, your, your nice things that you've done for others, the good thoughts, the good intentions, all of those things fall short. That our sin really does separate us from God. Our sin really does lead to death. 
And so the only way of salvation is through Jesus who lived a life without sin, who perfectly obeyed the law and who sacrificed himself on the cross and shed his blood for your sins and for mine. He died because the wages of our sin is death and he was put in a tomb. But on the third day, when he rose from the dead, he conquered our sin and death and hell on our behalf so that all who would put their faith in him, who would say, I'm trusting in you, Jesus, could be forgiven of their sins, could be washed clean and could be reconciled to God and become part of this kingdom. And so that's the decision that some of you need to make today. In a minute, we're gonna have a time of response and we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. There's gonna be leaders across the back of the sanctuary and they're gonna be there to, to talk with you. And so there's a couple ways that you can respond if this is a decision that you wanna make today. As we begin to sing, you can step out or you can head to the back of the sanctuary and you can talk with one of these uh, leaders or you can text the word decide to the number 865-234-3241. If you're watching with us online and this is a decision that you want to make this morning, I want to encourage you to get out your phone and text decide to 865-234-3241 and let us know about what God is doing in your heart. Christians today, as we think about this passage of scripture, we've been reminded of how we are to relate to mankind, that this is what it means to be a part of this kingdom. This is what citizens of the kingdom ought to look like. And so maybe when you look at these words, things like merciful and pure in heart and peacemakers and willing to face persecution for righteousness and humble and mournful and poor in spirit and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and you look at these things and you go, that's a far cry from where I am right now. Then maybe you wanna spend some time during this, this time of invitation at your seat or even here at this altar in prayer saying, God, you saved me, I've been born again, but I want to live out this kingdom. I I wanna relate to others in a way that would honor you and would glorify you. And so maybe you wanna spend some time in prayer. But however God is speaking to your heart today, now's the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we do thank you for your word And Lord, for how you speak to us. Lord, we're thankful that although we are helpless and hopelessly lost in our sin, you didn't leave us there, but you came down to earth to save us. You did what we couldn't do and you died on the cross to pay for our sin. And so God, I pray today that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation in their life the day that they would come poor in spirit, mourning their sin. Lord, calling on you humbly and seeking your righteousness. So God, may may you work in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls right now. God, for Christians here today, Lord, help us to live this out, this kingdom that we're a part of, Lord, because there's a whole world that needs to see what it means to be a part of this kingdom. So, Lord, may we be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.